Wow, what a difference. The Talkbuster Podcast. That, that new intro that you have with the picture of the store? Yep. That's actually the Greenville, I'm one of the stores here in Dallas. No and, way. Yeah, and, and a number of us actually work there. And it wasn't until he pointed that out that I realized that. So um, just a, just another little interesting tidbit for you. Oh, that's awesome. You know what? Yeah. I'm Since I'm still recording, I'm just going to cut you saying that like right into the episode. Hi, I'm Chris Chipman. You may remember me from such podcasts as the Chipman Brothers Tangent and Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility. I'm here to bring you back to the late 90s, early 2000s, a time of AMRAs and clamshells, a time of late fees and VHS tapes being replaced by DVDs, a time of stale gumballs and overpriced candy. Yes, that's right. I am talking about the time of Blockbuster Video, the Walmart of the video rental industry, the mom-and-pop video store killer, the corporate big-choice video store that everybody loved to hate. Blockbuster is mostly gone now. Kids today will never know the crazy Friday and Saturday nights with lines wrapped around the store to rent the next big movie. No more will regulars, who are in the know, arrive at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays to snatch up the new rentals that week before the weekend rush. Most of all, no longer will young movie geeks like myself have the memories I, and many others like me, made while working there. You see, under all of the corporate evil and bad practices, Blockbuster was a home, a comfort a place where I made lifelong friends and even met my wife. It is because of these memories that I, and I'm sure many of you, have that the Talkbuster podcast was created, a place for me and others to share our memories of what once was, of the before time, of the long, long ago. I'm looking forward to see where this goes, how it evolves. Join me, won't you? Welcome back, everybody, to the Talk Buster Podcast. As always, I'm Chris Chipman at the Chippa. Um, you can find this show and my other shows at patreon.com slash the Chippa. Um, speaking of that, Patreon, um, I've got new tiers right now. So you've got a $1 tier, which gets you early access to um, all of my shows three days earlier than everybody else. Um, the $5 tier includes you picking a um, topic for creating geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility, and also gives you access to Chippa Pays It Forward, where if you give me $5 on Patreon, I will donate $1 to anybody else's Patreon of your choice and give them an advertisement on my show. Um, if you get to the $15 level, um, you get your name mentioned on my show. So the people on that $15 level right now are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, my mom, and Hugh Campbell, who goes by Green Goblin on Twitter and was also um, a guest on the Talkbuster podcast. Um, just to let you guys know, um, for an advertisement, today's show is brought to you by Geeks with Shields, a podcast I've been on a couple of times. Your place for all things good and nerdy in this the darkest timeline. We recently recorded the Kevin Smith director Smackdown. That'll be um, coming out soon. And we also are recording a uh, review for Godzilla King of the Monsters, which will be out soon as well. So go over to patreon.com slash geeks with shields and check those guys out. Um, tonight I have... Um, a very interesting guest. I've uh, been reaching out to kind of broaden the view and focus of the show, um, not just for people who were employees of Blockbuster in the store as um, CSRs, assistant store managers, shift leaders, um, store managers, but also getting out into the district leader, corporate regional office and above. Um, and my guest tonight comes from that other side. Um, his name is Dave Carrera. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did. 
All right, and um, I will let him introduce himself. Dave, tell the people who you are. Uh, well, I really appreciate it, Chris. My name is Dave Carrera, and I'm uh, actually, I have the distinction of being the last of the original corporate employees who are still, believe it or not, working in support of the last blockbuster. So after all this time working in the stores and at corporate, um, I've still um, managed to go ahead and continue to support the stores even up through today. Um, that, that's amazing. So what um is that a uh, like secondary like consulting gig that you have, or does that fit in with the actual current job you have as well? Well, actually, it's uh, it's uh, it's my primary job right now is still continuing to support them. I am doing it uh, since obviously the corporate offices are no longer in existence, and the outsourcer that was originally taking some of the IT responsibilities there at the end is no longer part of the thing. Um, I split off and actually uh, created my own company at that point. Oh, well, that's do, amazing! Yeah, so I took advantage of the of sort of the situation. Uh, to set up my own company to do some IT consulting and support um, work. Um, and as part of that, um, and primarily uh, my job as part of that, was supporting the remaining uh, Blockbuster franchisees that were still in business past the c- closure of the corporate sto- stores in 2014. Wow. So, and so how many, stores, how many stores were under your umbrella at that moment in time? At that point, when we actually switched from um, corporate to no corporate, <laughs> and the switch was immediate, uh, when we flipped that switch, I actually picked on a little, picked up a little bit over thirty stores. Nice, right? So that was that was constituted by three uh, franchisees who um, wanted to remain open. They wanted to remain um, blockbuster bannered or blockbuster um, uh, branded. And they wanted to continue to use our point of sale system um, to prevent having to do the uh, additional, uh, have the additional burden of setting up a new infrastructure with a new point of sale system. And we decided to go ahead uh, together. We, we met as a as sort of a group and decided that they did, in fact, wanted to go forward and they needed our assistance to continue to stay open using the systems. Um, and so it was decided that they would assist, um, uh, each other in terms of, um, getting all of the equipment that they could from, um, the corporate locations and from the corporate distribution center. And at the time that they actually closed the last remaining corporate store, then the sort of the ownership or the responsibility, if you will, the support, uh, went over to me exclusively, um, and I've been doing it solo here for, golly, almost four and a half, going on five and a half years now. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, it is a lot of work, um, even with one store, uh, but uh, it's, it's satisfying. And I really, I really enjoy working with the team, um, the, the franchisees. Uh, it was a real blessing at the time because obviously, you know, you're faced with, possibly having to to leave not only leave the organization but basically reinvent your career of course um, right it and that's that's the thing that always amazed me you know i i sat back and watched the stores start closing and i'm like you know there were people i worked with that i know were still there 
exactly. at that time. You know, and it's like, I mean, at 18, 17 years old, you know, I, I couldn't have thought of doing anything else. I mean, I knew what I was going to go to college for, but it just seemed like a place that even though it's, it's time has run its course as a huge entity, it just seemed like a place that everyone was always going to need, <laughs> you know, exactly. so I, I never saw myself not having a job there, not being busy, you know? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, and early on, because I actually started out, um, golly, it's been a really, really long time ago, but, um, I actually started out as a CSR in, um, in 92. Um, wow. Yeah. So I've been working, I've been working this for a long time, but I started out as a CSR in 92. Um, uh, just making like a lot of us out there, I'm sure, uh, just wanted to make a little extra cash, um, for some stuff that I wanted to do projects that I had and so forth. And I, um, you know, you're, you're out of school and you're, uh, you're out of college and you're trying to figure out what you want to do. And before you decide, what you want to do, you have to decide what you have to do. And one of those was being able to support yourself. So, uh, you know, picking up a little extra cash at the blockbuster was, was a sort of a means to an end. And, you know, who knows, who knew that then that it would turn into a, you know, a 27, 28 year career. Right. Um, And so, so that you gave yourself a good segue there. So where are you from and how did you end up at blockbuster? That's, that's a good start. Yeah, actually, um, believe it or not, uh, my journey with Blockbuster actually starts all the way back at the opening weekend, which was October of uh, September, October of '85. Oh wow, and, I was a year old, man. Yeah, <laughs> well, thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, that so I go back before it was Blockbuster before it was Blockbuster Entertainment, before it was Blockbuster Video, it was Blockbuster Videos. Yes, it was. And so when you're talking to the guys in Dallas and the corporate office, you can actually ask them whether or not they were video or videos. So I still have my um, opening weekend card, membership card, original membership card, believe it or not, because that became my employee number as I went through the system. But... I'm actually customer number two, 20, 000, uh, 2027 Wow! overall. So that was when we, when we very first got our membership uh, was that weekend. And I, I actually grew up in Dallas. I'm born and raised. And um, the Medallion Center location was actually just not even five minutes away from where I grew up. And um, so obviously that was our home store. And... Uh, I had actually, um, applied there a few times, um, you know, cause I was a lot younger than it was before I was in college and, uh, you know, trying to, to pick up some extra cash then, but it wasn't until I got out of school that I really seriously aggressively looked at, at trying to, to get in somewhere. And my, my goal was always to try and go into sort of a corporate environment of some kind. But, um, you know, when I first started out in 92 as a CSR, it was really just sort of a means to an end. I, I really didn't see it going that far, but uh, it was um, it was so much fun, and there were so many people that um, I was really able to gel with and and really make good friendships and relationships with that uh, that I just stayed and uh, went down that management path to, to you know work my way up to 
to uh, you know store management. And uh, when I got to, let's see, it was about 1995, I had had an opportunity to interview for um, district manager. But because of the fact that the uh, district that I was in, which was about 17 or 18 stores, so it was a pretty big district. Oh, yeah. And, and we had some of the higher revenue. We had basically all of East Dallas. And... Jesus. We were we were really some really high revenue stores, very very busy stores. That was back in the, you know, you'd have four registers open, lines to the wall, Friday and Saturday almost all day. I mean, it was you know nuts back then. Oh yeah, yeah. I was, I yeah. I was a frequent shopper from ninety eight to two thousand and hung out there because I ended up being friends with everyone I worked with before I worked there. So I'd, you'd come in at 10 at night, everyone would go out when people got out of work. Right. So we'd, exactly. we'd hang out in the store or whatever. And, um, it was asinine how busy that store would be with every register open. It was, it was, it was nuts, but it, you know, but it was fun. Oh, it was so much fun to ring up people. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the people got into it. Like you'd get customers that were angry about it, but if you had a good staff, and, you know, and your regulars were in, it's like people would be throwing jokes back and forth and movie quotes and movies exactly. would be coming in that you knew people were waiting for. So you'd be like, all right, first person to raise their hand gets, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, 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 I can't even think right now. Um, exactly. We had a lot of we fun with it. Loud concert videos going and so forth. You know, yeah, it, was yeah, a, yeah. it was a boisterous, fun environment, right? It really was. And it was a safe boisterous and fun environment that's the thing that i always liked you know there was never any there was never anything you know outside you know you get people that were angry just because people were impatient but you know it wasn't it wasn't uh i don't know it just there there was something very like i said i've said in my opening there's a camaraderie about it 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 was like a home almost it was like another place to go and there wasn't too many and there still aren't many corporate entities that have really been able to capture that. Exactly. Exactly. And that, and I think that that for, for a lot of us, particularly in the Dallas area, because of the fact that we'd been there so long, uh, we really, you know, gelled because of that. And, and, you know, and at that point also, there was a little bit of a, Oh, you work at Blockbuster. Oh, that's cool. How did you get that gig? You know, it was, it was, it was a fun place and people knew that it was a fun place to work. Right. Right. Um, and and we we you know we leaned into that that was that was a big that was a big thing people really took that as sort of a badge of honor um it you know like anything else it had its days but on whole it was uh it was a wonderful experience in the stores and the you know now saying that i know that there's a lot of people that will be listening to it and they're like eh, well yeah but you weren't working in the stores in like you know the 2000s or something like that and i get that because I, I understand, and, and we even talked about it in the corporate office that we're like, wow, you know, when we were in the stores, we didn't have to do a tenth of the amount of stuff that we have that the guys today have to do. Yeah, you know, it got it got a little um, wacky. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, and some of that's born out of process, and some of that's born out of necessity, and and so forth. Oh, but, oh, absolutely. It, it, but it there's always... a good. Go, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, there, you know, even though uh, that was the case, I think that the that the thing that that uh, that we tried to do was at least on our side, because I can't necessarily speak for a lot of the groups, but 
for the IT side and particularly for the retail operations side, we tried to be as much as we could a store advocate because we had been there before and we understood the uh, burden of all the extra process um, that were being put on the store managers uh, and the assistant managers to, you know, be able to execute the programs properly and to be able to do the day-to-day, much less have to worry about computer systems and so forth and so on. We we tried as best we could to be an advocate for the impact of what was trying to be rolled out. Um, right. So, yeah, I don't know that it carries a lot of weight, but... Uh, oh, no, it does. It does because, y- you know, I... You you only know what trench you're in, right? You know what I mean, and and that even happens in in the career I'm in now. You you can really only see things from where you are. So you know, I think back to being a store manager, which was near the end of my first run there, mm-hmm. and I got thrust into being a store manager at 18 years old. It was my first year of college, and it was the summer um, before I was going back for my sophomore year. And I was a part-time assistant store manager um, during the school year and then a full-time in the summertime. And first day of summer, my like first day out of school, my store manager calls me up and says, hey, I broke my knee. I'm out. You're taking over. And like he shattered his knee, just like picking up a box wrong in the back room, right? And so I ran the store for the summer, and I would have been nowhere without being able to call you guys. Right. Because, you, you know, you think about now the access of, you know, Google, YouTube, you know, oh, you're, you're having an issue with a, an old computer system. You know, you can look it up and troubleshoot it. You, that wasn't the case. You know, I didn't have the Internet on my phone, in, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, so exactly. being able to being able to call the, you know, corporate IT at two in the morning. You know, when the the tape in the back room is blowing up and dumping all over the place or the, you know, you can't you can't get the POS back up and running during an inventory and you think you're going to have to do a manual inventory with your dot matrix printouts. You know what I mean? And, And no matter what, we always got help through it, you know, and I I this is what's fascinating me about able being able to talk to someone who went further in the company than me is it's cool to hear about the trenches you were in. Yeah. You know, it's cool to hear that, you know, it wasn't, you, you know, because the vision you have when you're in a corporate company, the vision you have is, you know, you've got, you know, the heads of Paramount and Viacom sitting in a room and going, let's see how much more money we can squeeze out of this little guy. And you you, you forget that, no, there was a whole bunch of people that had to make this work on an end behind the scenes that we never saw. And I, I think that's a fascinating side of this whole thing that. I have not heard anybody talk about yet. This could be the very first time, you know, there's been a blockbuster corporate person on a podcast. I hope that's the case. If anyone's <laughs> listening, share it around. Well, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, I, I was um, I was probably okay with continuing to go up the, the, the retail side of it. But um, t- to be honest with you, I realized that because of the depth of the experience and the other store managers, and quite frankly, they had even been there longer than I had at that point. Uh, because, you know, I had some tenure at that point, but I, I realized that to, to make DL, a lot of people would either have to like leave or, you know, choose another career path or, you know, something like that. Because it, there was just too many people in front of me. 
Yeah, uh, no, that, that was so. the case everywhere. Like I'm my store manager spent most of his career with the company being promised DL. Like, yeah. and then it's okay, go open another store, go fix another store. And he's like, when is this going to happen? You know, <laughs> exactly. And then it got you, wild. You, you blink and several years go by and it still hadn't come true. And then you're like, well, now what do I do? Right. Exactly. And I, I, uh, realizing that I, um, uh, had been sort of known in the district as sort of the guy who could help get store managers, uh, some assistance in terms of like, you know, Little stuff like, you know, helping them with a printer problem or a cash drawer problem or something along those lines. You know, just just little ticky tacky stuff that they had that might be giving them some trouble that I could go over and help them with. And and we at that point also had a uh, a sort of a practice of moving store managers around quite a bit between stores. Yep. And because of the fact that we floated between so many stores, I kind of got this reputation to be able to help them with the IT stuff. And uh, a corporate IT was still here in Dallas. Um, when, the, when the corporate offices moved to Fort Lauderdale, um, IT, a, a good majority of IT anyway, I, really I'm referring more to the software development and the uh, support team, uh, as well as the distribution center remained in Dallas. And there were a number of different reasons, but primarily it was because of the central time zone uh, having to cover the entire country as well right, as makes a lot of sense exactly as well as the proximity to uh, dfw airport and being able to ship things in and out easily um it was uh it was deemed that they would go ahead and remain in dallas so when they um they had these teams that would go out to the stores particularly in east dallas because they were right next to us to you know get some feedback from the store see how things were going that kind of thing and i got offered up as a name to be thrown in the hat uh, by my district manager to the IT team to help them do some testing and some um, sort of lab work, if you will, in one of their labs there at the at the uh, corporate office. And I was like, well, sure, you know, this this would be great because you know not only do you not have to spend time in the store uh, uh, doing paperwork, but you also get to work on you know computer stuff. Um, so I went ahead and did some of that and that's how I sort of got a, a foot in the door at, uh, at the support center and jokingly, half jokingly, half seriously, I had actually mentioned to somebody that I'd really like to work for computer support and it just so happened coincidentally, oddly that they had a position open and I interviewed for it and got it. And so wow. in 95, I actually moved over to it uh, computer support, um, and stayed with it and loved it. And, and I mean, it, you know, you want to talk about a lot of work. That was a lot of work. Oh yeah. Um, the number of calls that we were taking, but we were talking to people all over in the United States as well as Canada. And, you know, it was, it was an exciting job. It was a lot of work. Um, the hours were pretty, pretty crazy, but again, it was, it was a really close knit team. Um, a lot of those people had that were working there had uh, uh, either worked in the stores or they had worked in the on the installation teams, the guys that would actually go to the stores and install the hardware. Yep. Um, and so they were very experienced. Um, and some of the, and really at that point, the most tenured people 
that we had uh, were working in that team. And so I, I stayed there and worked my way up through um, then, obviously, uh, through support and uh, actually worked my way up to manager of level two support eventually. So that was, you know, that spans a lot of time, obviously, because, you know, that was by the time I left in 12, I was manager of what they call production support. And we had um, basically we were support support. That's probably the best way to look at it. So when a store would call in and they would get the frontline guys who I know that is kind of a love hate relationship with those guys, but the guys that would initially take your call, if they couldn't solve it, then they would escalate it to the team here in McKinney, Texas, that were onshore, and they would work your problem. And if they couldn't resolve it, then they would escalate it to us. Wow. So it was almost like a second, almost third level support. So we did that support. We had um, the responsibility for creating all um, promotional coupons that were in the store. Um, we had the responsibility for um, um, all the hardware and software deployments to the store. So I was one of my other hats was I was a sort of a senior project manager in charge of deploying all this like the compass terminals, payroll terminals and so forth. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and deploying that as well as the um, credit card terminals. Those were two of my largest projects that I did. And um, then as a, as a fun little factoid, which you may not know, for the stores that were international, so, you know, you had the stores all over the world, they had their own help desks for Asia Pacific and um, South America uh, Mexico and Europe, and they had their own kind of similar setups with support. If their support teams could not resolve their issues, I had um, a member of the of the team on our side that would then be a third level escalation for those support desks. Oh my god! Yeah, so it, it was sitting at of- the hub. Up of the world. Yeah, it was it was a lot of work. It was a lot of fun, but we talked to people all over the United States and all over the world. And and you know, thinking about it, if you if you really think in terms of the number of stores we were supporting at that time, you know, at, at, and I was going back through my records to try and see if I could get a more accurate count, but um, the the number that I had was we were supporting a little over sixty two hundred stores out of our center. Jesus. Now that's not international. That's no, domestic. right. So that's US and Canada. Um, about a thousand of which were franchise and about four hundred and fifty or so of which were Canada, but that was about sixty two hundred total total. And that's across nine time zones. So that's from Prince Edward Island on the east, all the way on the other side of Nova Scotia. Oh to, yeah, I've been there. To uh Guam and Saipan. This is insane. Again, and I, and I love this because it's the whole side of it. I I know knew nothing about till I talked to you. So yeah, um, <laughs> an, an interesting question um, that that comes up is you know you said a lot of people that were in your group moved their way up from being store employees. Yes. So what what would you say the um the percentage or if if you had to guess of how many people that 
you know, made it through to like the corporate IT or, you know, even that you like met through the offices that were, you know, what I'd consider like, you know, movie, movie geeks, right. You know, cause that's the idea. Like, you know, you'd work with people, even in a store where you'd have, you know, like your 10 employees and two of them, no, this is just a job. Like, I really don't like movies. I'm just here just like a kid flipping burgers in a McDonald's. I don't really give a crap about the food. I'm just here to make money. Right. But, um, the thing that I always found the camaraderie that I found was that you end up finding people that are into the same stuff as you. Um, and that makes a good job in my opinion, right? When you, when it's more important that you, you have these relationships that cause, cause you want to do better with these people, you know what I mean? Um, what would you say? Did that make its way through to that level? Um, oh. a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, and, and again, part of it was because of the fact that the majority of us moved up through the ranks because of the fact that IT had remained in Dallas. But the the core of the support team, and, and when I say support team, I'm referring to computer support, the guys that would actually take your incoming call from the store, all the way up through my group, which was production support. Right, and right. on over into software development, I would say that the majority of us were, you know, bleed blue and gold, diehard blockbuster uh, um, fans um, that were in it to actually see the company succeed. But in even more than above that, I would say that, you know, you were probably looking at it at its max. It was, you know, a, a pretty high percentage were actual store employees. That's that it comes awesome. through store management. Um, and, and again, that number fluctuated quite a bit. And in the early days, and by early days, I would say when I first started in the support, like in the early night and mid 90s, it was probably about, it was better than half. Wow. Were, were from the stores that were actually, you know, working directly with the stores. We're better than half. Now, did, now did you guys, you know, obviously you're working crazy hours because you're supporting, you know, um, longer than a normal open shift day because right. you're covering so many uh, different time zones. But did you guys have a, a camaraderie outside of, of the job? You know, in the store, you know, I talk about, you know, oh, get off at midnight. Everyone goes and, you know, catches a midnight movie and hits a Denny's afterwards. And, you know, we, we would do things like that. We'd go to movies as a store. We'd schedule people to like, oh, okay, well, this new movie's coming out. So, us three are going to work the closing shift. You three work the opening shift and, you know, then, uh, you guys go see it at night. We'll go see it during the day and then we'll meet up for dinner and talk about it. You know, um, did, did that, did that kind of happen at your level when you, or was that kind of too hard with the kind of it being where, where the, where the adults in a career with families and everything makes it a lot harder. Right. You know, but go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, to answer that, so we, we basically had for, for those, for the help desk, it was a little bit different because they weren't an eight to five, like you were saying. Right. Since we were a 24-hour center, it was you, um, you there were four shifts. It, it was either weekdays, weeknights, weekend days, or weekend nights. Right. And so those particular groups would pretty much hang together, right? Oh, cool. That's awesome. Uh, exactly. So so the idea was is that, uh, you know, like the weekend uh, weekday guys would – you know, go out and do happy hours or something like that, or, or the weekend night guys would do potlucks and bring in food, um, you know, and, because they had a little, little more time. Because when the store was busier, 
we got we were we were not as busy, which makes sense, right? Because the store manager didn't have a time time enough to call. So when when the stores are actually less busy, we get more calls, and then it's an inverse relationship there. Right. Um, so you don't have you as know, much time for housekeeping when you're busy. Exactly. We the the drawback was though is that you would you know if the store was busy and you got a call, you knew it was urgent. So it was, you know down store something like that. But um, the uh, but to answer your question, the, the shifts would have a lot of things that they would do on their individual shifts to kind of break up at the monotony and have uh, you know potlucks or or bring in food or they would you know meet after work and so forth and and of course when we had uh, the unfortunate uh, uh, task of uh, you know wishing someone farewell. Uh, if they were to leave the company or something like that, obviously the the uh, the goodbye parties were were pretty amazing. We would yes. we would really do it upright for a goodbye party. Um, so we would try to schedule it such that as many people that could show would do it. But the um, the farewell parties were were pretty epic. <laughs> so they 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 did they we did very well. Let me put it that way. And then uh, and then of course on the upper side. It was a little easier once you got out of the support desk because they weren't shift uh, shift hours. We were actually doing eight to five, kind of normal office hours, and um, so that made it a little easier. You know, you could you could go out at night or you could go out on the weekends and so forth. But but we would definitely meet up as a team and do team events. Um, we also had a lot of um, corporate sponsorship for um, uh, charities. So oh, awesome! Yeah. Right, like Susan G. Komen, Race for the Cure, yep. or, or um, some of the other um, um, Corporate Challenge, I think was another big event that we did where a lot of the IT teams from all over the city, because it's, Dallas is a big IT center uh, yes. for tons of different companies, and there's tons of companies are actually headquartered here in Dallas. Um, we had something called the Alcatel Challenge where we actually had a lot of IT companies uh, uh, groups from all over the um, Dallas area actually participate in fundraising for charity, and and we would participate greatly in those things. So it was uh, there was a lot of activity outside of work. Nice, because that was that was always my favorite part of the job, and I find that you know I don't know if it's just that the career I'm in now is less prone to that, or if you know. Or if it's just that, you know, I'm, I'm in an, an older group of people, right, that are kind of, you know, we have families at home. And so there's not as much of a, like, this need, even though it's, you know, it's a nine-to-five job, right? So you figured there'd be more of it. But there's less, you know, I'm like, oh, man, I want to get everybody and go for, like, bar trivia one night or something. You know, <laughs> you know and and it just doesn't happen as much anymore. And it's it's kind of a bummer because it's like, you know, I've I've been at this job longer than I was at blockbuster you know i've been at this job 11 years and it's like i barely know any of these people and it's right. kind of a bummer <laughs> it, it, it was a very interesting um environment to work in corporately because as much as um the corporate world just in general you know just corporations in general they don't lend themselves to a lot of um sort of camaraderie or, or activity that well, right. kind of we, brings the company together like that. And, and Blockbuster, were, almost to a fault, would do that consistently. Yeah, we actually, I've, I've talked about it in an earlier show, but we had, we had a team 
of probably nine or 10 people. These, these, most of these people were in my wedding party that worked together for a good two to three years straight unchanged. Right. Mm -hmm. And we were basically told, even though our numbers were the best in the district and everything else that something had to be going on and they split us all up. Yeah. Luck, luckily, we found out later that the reason that they did that was because they actually had a lot of respect for us and how we worked and were moving other people through to kind of weed out problems they were having. Mm-hmm. But they weren't being upfront about that. Right. So we yeah. took it as, oh, man, what did we do wrong? You know, <laughs> but it's, right. it's that it's it, you said it was to a fault. It's like I get it on on paper as a corporate entity. Of course, you know, if people are getting along too well there's there's a chance that they're going to start letting people get away with crap and things are going to slip. It makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, from the trenches, that was like a reason to want to have respect for the store and the company and the product. Exactly. It's because we all got along so well. So it was like a double-edged sword, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, I, and you know, and I think that to, um, to a lot of the manager's credit, I think that throughout the organization and particularly retail operations and, and, and I know that there's a lot of other um, uh, departments out there that were uh, impacted and so forth by, you know, day-to-day operations and everything, but retail operations and IT that I had had the most interaction with, obviously uh, there was a real uh, sort of a, you know, you know, you go down, we go down kind of an approach to the thing. And it, it, uh, it really made it, um, made it a real team effort, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, and even, and even more so than in the stores, I think I, I, as strongly as I felt about it in the stores and, and, and I did, there was a lot, even it it was an even higher degree in the corporate environment because we had so many people that were so dedicated. And and that's awesome is, you know, like, like I was saying before we started recording and I'll, I'll, I'll drop this here that there's going to be a lot more people coming on this show that were on this side of the, uh, of the coin. And, um, the, the response I got wasn't just, Hey, your podcast makes me nostalgic. I think I'd like to be on it. It was, Oh my God, that was the best job I've ever had. I need to talk to you about it. (laughs) And it's like, that's, it's, it's awesome that so many people feel the same way I did, you know, and that me at, you know, working there from like 17 to 26 can have the same experience as someone that started in 92. You know well, what I mean? It's, exactly. it's really I, cool. And I think that the, the, really the takeaway from it is, is that, you know, no matter your opinion of Blockbuster, whether you had a good experience or a bad experience in terms of a work environment, I think that the thing that you have to appreciate is the fact that regardless of whatever anybody's opinion is of it, that, you know, if even for people who speak badly of it, they wouldn't speak badly of it if they didn't get the joke. Right. Yes. The, the, the there's, there's a little bit of a reverence to it in terms of, of, of talking about it. It's a, it's a needling and, a, and it's a respect out of it, but it's not done in, in, in necessarily in malice. It was just sort of a, uh, um, a, enough people across the United States to realize the importance of the and the significance of the company and its role in the entertainment timeline of, 
of uh, technology that was out there to to enjoy movies that they that they appreciated for what it was. It was a consistently good, uh, clean, family oriented product that was delivered with you know minimal effort, and they were everywhere, and you could go in there and get what you wanted, and that was that was really what it was. Absolutely, yeah. and you know it's I've haven't found yet talking to people that have worked you know the retail gamut over the years too many stores where the employee experience was as much of a focus of the company as the customer experience even though i've disagreed with some of the things that you know happened in the employee experience side we spent a lot of time you know, getting rollouts of documentation and training courses and things that were very focused on making sure that we had the tools at our disposal to make sure the customer's experience was great. And it never seemed to be at the expense of the employee. It was always like, we want to make sure you enjoy it here. So then the customers will enjoy it here. You know, we, we absolutely tried as much as possible to, um, insert enough of that feel and that sort of approach into the process by the, you know, because by the time that someone on high said, we're going to do this, right. And we're, even if it's just that we're going to go out there and we're going to see if this, whatever this is, is going to work, we want to do this. And then it would come down from on high. Well, by the time that we would get it and by the, and support and software development and then uh, the support teams, as well as by the time that, most importantly, that retail operations would get it, they tried to infuse enough of a uh, understanding of the customer and and store experience into it that it wouldn't just throw us completely off the rails. Right, it would it either. would infuse itself properly. Exactly. 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 And and that we didn't you know raid other. Uh, you, you know, insert a project, uh, a uh, process in there that would raid other projects, you know? So when you, you know, when you, when you look at the, cause we tried to map this out one time, if you actually took the, uh, the system process, right. And if you actually looked at the calculations that are actually made at the point that some, that a CSR hits the total key, <laughs> and and the calculations that it has to go through to ensure that it checks whether it's rewards or a pass or a auto coupon or how many other coupons the, the validations and checks and control processes in there were so vast and so complex and the only way that those things were able to be done and implemented in a way that that it would not sacrifice the customer experience was solely at the, at, on the shoulders of the software development and QA teams. Um, yeah. and I, and I think that when you, you know, I know that, uh, um, uh, Ryan Smith w- had, had, res- had responded to your, um, uh, inquiry for getting people to, to join in the podcast, but I think Ryan Smith and those guys would be an interesting, uh, interview for another podcast because he would be able to give you sort of the software development side of it, some insight into that. And he's, he's a store guy too. Um, you know, I can speak for the, the, um, uh, support side, but from a software development side, I think he would be able to give you some insight in terms of how they took the, 
okay, I need you to go make this happen in the stores and then taking that and turning it into a program that could actually be implemented in the stores. I think that that would be a, that would be some interesting insight to get his perspective on it as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He was definitely on that list. Yeah. So I, I, I would, I would encourage you to talk to him and, you know, for the franchisee's sake, um, you know, when we, when we moved out to, uh, to support the franchisees in 2014, you know, it was a really, it was a really uh, mixed emotion time, right? Um, because the word came down at the end of 2013 that we were going to close the stores. And it was like a, yes, the word has come down. We're going to close all the stores corporately. And then they will be done by, I think it was either January or February of 14. And that's you know, the year I received my gumball machine. Yeah. See, so, so have the, I told the, you, did, did, did you, did you hear about that? The gumball machine? Yeah, it's on. I've talked about it. My, my brother, um, who worked at the store with me, bought me the gumball machine from the store we all worked in the, <laughs> the day it closed. They, he, he said, if that gumball machine is still there for sale the last day, I'm buying it. And he bought it for me for my birthday. It's still got the, um, the security tape because we lost the key. This, we lost the key probably back in 2003. And it still had the security tape on it that held the uh, back on so so people couldn't steal the quarters that is great that's great uh, oh man well, we, we uh we had the opportunity to uh to put together um the uh process to you know basically back all of those franchisees off of the corporate systems and put them back to sort of an old school process but you know, if they had not, if the software development team and QA team had not written the software tightly enough, we wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, because they knew that we would, you know, need to be able to grow and back off of certain processes as time went by. Um, it was just a matter of going in there and sort of back backward engineering the, the system to work without a whole host processes. And that's really what allowed us to move forward and not have any downtime between the time that they severed the relationship with corporate and from the time that they actually flipped the switch to turn off all the data center, we, we were ready to stand up our independent data center here in Dallas to support the franchisees, which were at that point, it was uh, Florida and um, South and West Texas, um, Alaska, and of course the guys in Oregon. And um, Alan Payne, who was the um, owner of the of the stores here in Texas and Alaska, who I just talked to today, as a matter of fact. Oh, that's he, um, awesome! Yeah, he we we maintain a relationship even today. We we were um, his stores actually had unfortunately had to close at the end of uh, last year, but we we're still you know working on closing up that sort of operation, if you will. Um, he, uh, he was very instrumental in working with, um, uh, the guys up in Oregon, Ken and Debbie, who I know that Sandy had mentioned and, yep, uh, the the guys... Ken, Ken signed the sweatshirt that I'm giving away. Oh yes. Yes. I saw yeah, I got the whole store and Ken. Yeah. Ken, Ken and Debbie, I, I hope to talk to them someday. Um, they seem like amazing people. I, uh, I'm just, uh, it's awesome when you hear that 
you know, somebody who I guess they were with it back from before their store was even a blockbuster. That's how long they've been with it. So yes. that's that's fascinating. Yeah, and and um, and you know, and and uh, between them and the owners out in Florida and and Allen, um, we basically put our heads together, uh, figured out um, how to make it go forward, and and like I said, we've been going since um, since fourteen. So now you know what's that? Five years. Yeah. So it you know and and we were real we were realistic about it right we knew that it wasn't going to be for everything we knew that there was you know a, a finite period of time on it but this uh, very nicely has exceeded um, my expectations of what I thought that it would turn into um, and as as Sandy had indicated the other day in her interview, I think that I, I agreed. I, I told Sandy that I was going to be with her to the bitter end, and I um, I still plan to do that as long as circumstances don't change. But I uh, I plan at some point, even if it's the very last day that they're open, I'm going to take this card up there and I'm going to quick add it into their system. So I'll be I'll have the card that's the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I'd if if you if you wouldn't mind, it would be cool if you could send me a picture of that card. Absolutely. I'd like to and I'd like to include it with this when I post it, um, so everybody can see because that's it's so cool, man. I um and you know keep keep me in mind if you know if there's things that come up after after this show that are interesting that you want to you know come back on and follow up on whether it's you know uh, you know. Let me just spitball on something and make up in my head. Let's say that a year from now, all of a sudden, all of this attention and everything they got. Oh, crap. People actually need this. We opened a second store as a joke. You know, like whatever it is, that stuff's fascinating to me. And um, I've I have a phone every two months to reping Sandy um, just to say, hey, if you or anyone in your store wants to come back on, I'd love to, you know have you back on and you can tell the world how you're doing, you know? And I think I, I, same thing with you. I want to, I want to be part of this conversation to the bitter end because I would absolutely love to. It's just fascinating to me. Like I said, blockbuster has been a, has been a, um, and a, uh, a significant uh, portion of my life, both in terms of a career and, uh, bringing me a wife. I actually got married to someone who I worked with and had the very much the pleasure to work with her at the corporate office for um, many years. She um, she unfortunately got caught up in the in the layoffs that happened along the way, um, not necessarily unforeseen. I mean, we knew that that was eventually going to come, but uh, because of times being what they were, but. Um, she was very glad that we were able to continue to participate in at some level of being able to support the stores. She had actually worked with, um, um, the franchisees and that, uh, or the franchisee that held, um, the stores in, um, Mississippi and Alabama. And oh, wow. yeah, and she, she worked in their corporate franchise office and then came over to support at about the same time that, that I was in support. So, we were able to kind of come up through the ranks together, which was, which was really neat. Um, that was, a. Uh, she has a lot of stories about the old franchise days and, and out there, but, um, she, she really had a lot of fun with that. And, um, you know, since then I, you know, I still meet up with the guys regularly, 
still celebrate birthdays together and and go out wow. and eat every once in a while. So it's it's a lot of fun. The corporate guys and store guys, I still meet up with them regularly. I'm a lot older, a lot grayer, but we're still here. <laughs> yeah, it happens. It happens. Yeah. I, it happens to everybody. I, when, I, when I worked there, I had six-inch spiked hair, and now <laughs> I'm basically bald. <laughs> I have a giant beard, but I'm basically bald. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, my, my hair is almost stone-cold white now, and it's, and it's oh, all just no. blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that, that's definitely part of it. Um, it. It definitely didn't come without its stress. Um, it so, so that that brings us all the way through to, to you helping out Sandy and the folks in bend. But, um, what's some, uh, you know, back through the years, you know, a, a few, um, just cool stories of things that went down, maybe, you know, one from the time you worked in the stores and then one from the time where it was corporate and then one from, uh, these franchise years, um, in sure. the, the, the post, you know, and again, as much as you want to talk about, I don't, I don't have a time constraint on this. We could go, you know, we could go another 20 minutes or so and it wouldn't be a problem. Sure. I just, you know, I, I, I love hearing this stuff and man, that was, that was more insight than I ever thought I was going to get. So yeah. that was fantastic. Good, good. Well, uh, so in the, let's see a good in the store story. Um, so, um, and again, I'm probably dating myself here, but for those of us who were in the stores back at that time frame. Um, in the, you know, in the early nineties. So there was an exercise where we had, where we were selling, um, two liter drinks and, um, tombstone pizzas, like the frozen ones that you oh, get yeah. at the grocery store. Remember those? So what would happen most of the time was that the, um, uh, you know, the tombstone pizzas would sell really, really well along with the two liters. What would happen most of the time was is that when the store, when the um, employees would come in to do inventory, they would buy a two liter and throw it in the the back of the tombstone freezer, and <laughs> you know let it slush up real good, and um, that way when they were doing inventory, they'd have you know a cold slushy drink to drink all the way through inventory the next morning, right? Right. And we had warned them not to do that, so. You know, I basically we had a really big store back then. Uh, you know, it was fourteen, fifteen thousand square feet. I mean, it was big. Oh, Jesus! And, yeah, the, the, the East Dallas were big. Yeah, the East the East Dallas stores were huge. They were really, really big. And um, we uh, so we had a ton of inventory, and we had a ton of people coming in to do it. Well, anyway, they they came in and they stuffed that thing full of uh, tombs, the tombstone freezer full of uh, two liters, even though they've been told not to. They forgot about them. And, of course, in the middle of, of doing inventory, all those things burst. And it just it destroyed the pizzas. It destroyed the inside of the refrigerator. It just I mean, it just it was awful. <laughs> but <laughs> but. I, uh, you know, no one would fess up as to who, who actually did it. Right. And I'm like, you know, come on, we gotta, we gotta do something about this. So I actually ended up having to make everybody clean up the freezer and it was, it was a mess. So, I mean, it was fun, you know, but you know, those things bursting in the middle of, uh, of inventory was just not something that the store manager wants to hear. Believe me. Oh, it's hell just, no. Yeah. <laughs> it was just awful. Cause you know, because then they burst, and then there's, you know, there's bottom, the whole bottom of their freezer is full of Coke, and you can't open it without it going all over the place, and it's just, it's awful. 
we so, when we were in, when we were in the Woburn store, um, my buddy Scott and I who was my store manager. Um, witnessed uh, a tape. It must have bounced off of tapes in the box, but it hit the chemical fire extinguisher in the oh. drop box, <laughs> and it doused the entire store. Lovely. It, and it, it was like five o'clock at night on a Friday. And, and like, you know those. Uh... Those kind of fire extinguishers, if they ever went off, you'd never get that stuff up. Never. We were, for the majority of the time we worked there, we'd open a DVD every once in a while and it would just dump dust all over the place. And we're like, <laughs> oh, great. <This> awful. <laughs> uh, let's see. And another story from, okay, from the support day. So when we were in, uh, when we were in support, and again, this was back when the, so the corporate office was in Fort Lauderdale at that point, and the support center and the distribution center were still in East Dallas. And we, uh, the support center, uh, where computer support and development IT and everybody was, we were in East Dallas and we shared a parking lot with another building. And I mean, it was literally like, you know, you just walk across the parking lot and you're at this other building. The other building was actually a movie, stu- uh, like a movie production set that was real nondescript. It was just like a warehouse. But they did a lot of um, uh, studio shots for Walker, Texas Ranger at, nice. that, at that location, <laughs> just coincidentally. So there was an employee who, if he's listening, he knows who he is, but I'll, he'll remain nameless to protect the innocent. Uh, he was running late one day to get to work, and he came around the corner pretty quick, and he nearly mowed down Chuck Norris. So we we always joked with him that that the next time that we were out with him we would not ride with him because uh, you know you, you never know he'd probably Chuck Norris would probably pull one of those uh, uh, moves like he did in the movie where he like kicked through the windshield or something like that you know you don't you don't want to go you don't want to go crazy on Chuck Norris. No, imagine oh imagine that headline. Yeah. Oh boy, <laughs> blockbuster employee ends Walker Texas Ranger stars. Chuck Norris's career. Oh God! Exactly, exactly right. Uh, and let's see a story from when I was working with uh, with the guys here. I think that uh, I don't know that it was necessarily a, a, a funny story, but I, I think that um, uh, what we did was uh, we had told the guys at at corporate basically that we were going to go ahead and um and uh have the equipment that was here in dallas because at at that particular point you know you have to sort of uh, picture this the corporate stores had all closed um basically uh dish was sort of washing their hands of the whole like store experience at that point right and it was it was me and like three or four other guys that were here running the support center at that point for the remaining stores and I um, uh, called up the the corporate office and said, you know, basically we're done. Um, and the last store, corporate store is closed and, and we're going to go ahead and, and, and shut down. Um, and fortunately, uh, the guys with the franchisees had made arrangements to go ahead and acquire all that remaining equipment. And so it was left up to me to move all of that equipment from the existing location over to the new data center, which was a couple of nights of endless 
car trips and moving all of that equipment to the new location. But it was just that that whole setup, and it was uh, sort of a by yourself. It's that it's that um, feeling when you know you got to be out of an apartment in like a day or two, and you've got all the stuff in your apartment. And you got to pack real quick and get out. Oh yeah, yeah. So it was that kind of a hurried thing, but. My again, my my thanks to to uh, Ken and Debbie and and Alan for making it such a smooth, relatively smooth transition, and and for having the patience with us to to help them get through that. And we, in the end, were able to do it without uh, without any downtime to the store. So we we really um, as as hard as it was, and as as many hours as we were working, because we were pulling, you know, eighty, ninety, hundred hour weeks there for a couple of months trying to get that thing done and we, we pulled it off. So it was really just sort of a feeling of success at that point to make that happen. Jesus. Yeah. Pretty exciting. And can I leave you with some trivia? I got, sure. I got to put this in there. So I I know we're running a little bit over, but I'll, I'll, I'll Oh no, 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 we're not running over at all. This is great. (laughs) So, so the, so the first store, I'll, just sort of stepping back to the first door, um, you know, for the millennials out there that may be listening to this, I know that everybody gets tied up in, you know, DVD, Blu-ray, Blu-ray, 4K, blah, blah, blah. Remember <laughs> that back in the day, right, when the store first opened, and this was again in 85, so, you know, you have to consider the time frame. We actually had two formats. It was actually VHS and Beta. Betamax! So, so... So just so it's an official statement out there, for those of you who didn't know, we did at one point carry beta, and those beta part numbers are still out there in the system. Wow. And as a matter of fact, I'm using some of I'm hijacking some of those old beta part numbers to continue to add new part numbers for Sandy and her store today. And that's how I'm kind of able to move the system forward. Um that's because I'm nuts. I'm reusing those old 12-inch laser disc and beta part numbers, as well as some ones that I was able to find that are no longer used. I was able to reuse those to make to make that happen. And so that that was one little bit of trivia. And then the other one that I, I thought was kind of an interesting one was, you know, and I don't I'm not I'm sure that this wasn't part of the decision to put it there, but the Medallion Center actually did have a um theater there um that was not a multiplex by any means it was a single screen theater i believe it was general cinema someone could correct me on that if i'm wrong about that but they had a um single screen theater there and it was it was back in the time in the 70s when it was a you know going to a theater was like a a thing you know it was like Mm -hmm. a more of an experience so the medallion theater, the lobby and everything was kind of a ritzy setup, and it was sort of like an independent kind of an artsy kind of a, a theater at that point. Um, and it actually was one of the places, and this would have been 10 years earlier, right? So this would have been in the March, April time frame of 1975. It was the first public showing of the rough cut of Jaws. Oh, my favorite movie. Yeah, so to a non-studio audience, to a um, uh, non-industry audience, so this was to the public, was at the Medallion Theater in March or April of 1975. So 
that it was just kind of interesting to me that that um, you know here we go we have a theater that does uh, uh, you know national rollouts uh, for both that and for Star Wars and some of these other ones Spielberg of course and then you know ten years later here's Blockbuster and then it stayed in business for so long it's, it's just kind of an interesting little cherry to put on top of that no that's incredible that's awesome so but like i said i i um hope that uh you're gonna have some more uh corporate guys on because I'll, I'll love to hear from them but it, even today when i talk to my corporate buddies they're like you're still supporting the sp- stores but how how does that work you know <laughs> so oh no that's great and if, if you know anyone else that um isn't on that list you know send them my way um you know i i would love to talk to anybody that has any sort of insight or connection um, to this experience, right? Because it's it, it's it's amazing how many people you find that are still working for it, right? Like I didn't expect Sandy and them to ever respond to me, let, yeah. let alone anybody else. You know, absolutely. Well, and then and then just sort of as a as a final thing, I, I, if if you if you'll indulge me for a second, I do have to give oh, a shout of, out to a couple of course. People. So for. Um, for what it's worth, the ability for the stores to stay open past 2014 and the corporate closing was specifically, um, and un- while there's a ton of people that assisted and laying the groundwork to make it happen, I really have to thank a few specific people, which would be um, from the production support team, well, which would have been Steve Martin, Chad Milstead, Vance Price. Um, and from the software development team, I have to thank, um, uh, Sam Wang, um, Ryan Smith and Chris Howard because to, um, and, and that's just a fraction of the people that got us here, but they by far are probably the people that are the most responsible for being able to, um, give us the documentation and give us the stability of the processes and controls that have allowed me to continue to use those controls to keep the stores open past this, you know, the 2014 date. So um, while there are way too many people to um, to mention in, during this podcast uh, that are responsible at, at, a, at a core level, uh, I have to say that these core people here are by far the ones that need the most credit in terms of putting us in a position to stay open as long as we have. Oh, and so real quick, I'll also want to give a shout out to a couple of other people, if I can, real quick, Chris. Um, I've got uh, uh, three people who, uh, although the people that I've mentioned so far during the episode were very responsible and very uh, um, uh, helpful in terms of my career at Blockbuster and, and setting us up for what eventually became our independent state, you know, this post uh corporate store state um there were three people additional people that were very instrumental in setting me up to be independent as an independent company and so i wanted to give a quick shout out to them and that was um from my prior years at blockbuster and and almost every every day since uh is craig jablonski he he worked with me at the help desk um as a manager and he's um been a good sounding board um, for what needed to be done, both while we were working together at, at, at Blockbuster Corporate, as well as um, the type of approach that we should take 
um, in supporting the store now. So uh, he's been a tremendous help. And then uh, additionally, two um, non-Blockbuster employees um, who are lifelong friends who actually helped me tremendously were um, uh, Jim Davidson and Judd Heap. And Jim actually provided a lot of the software development for some, uh, not for the point of sale system, but for some additional external tools uh, that I use uh, on a day-to-day basis to help manage uh, the products and reports and so forth, the, the things that I have to do for for Sandy up there and, and uh, the Ben store. And Judd was able to help significantly in terms of his expertise in networking and uh, engineering as we as we actually tried to determine what would be required to make a infrastructure um, uh, robust enough to actually support the stores away from the corporate infrastructure. So their their work has been uh, invaluable. And as a matter of fact, that involved uh, a few trips going back and forth between uh, Dallas and, and uh, Colorado and California to tr- between the three of us to try and get that all worked out. So uh, definitely appreciate their help and a huge thanks to them from from the team here. So um, so thank you very much. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm going to second his thanks because without them, I uh, I probably wouldn't have people to talk to on this show. So th- thank you guys. Absolutely. All right, so um, are you interested in playing a movie game to, to send us off into the evening? I, I will do my best. You know. Oh, yeah, don't, don't worry. This is going to be fun. Take mercy on me because, like I said, I haven't been in the store in, you know, a really long time. <laughs> All right, so, so, so the best part about this is every, everything is made available to you. So okay. have, you ever, have you ever played Cards Against Humanity before? I have not. Okay, so um, the inspiration for this came from that because it's Cards Against Humanity is just it's 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 really dirty, it's vulgar. That's not really the point of this game, but it's super simple. It, it's basically a dirty version of Apples to Apples, the kids game. And okay. what what um Apples to Apples and Cards Against Humanity do is you you draw a saying or a phrase with a blank in it. And you have a handful of cards that say something and you have to throw down what you think the best way to finish that phrase would be. And then everybody else who's playing votes or sorry, every, everyone who's playing you, you, you're the one that threw the card. So you vote which one's best. And so you kind of play the room more than you actually play um, an actual like dice roll or something to get you to win. It's all based on who you're playing it with. So that's why I thought this was the perfect game for guests on a silly podcast because you know we're we're talking about movies, right? So um, so I broke this up into three rounds. I've made a spreadsheet. There's over 150 films and movie quotes on this spreadsheet. I randomly picked a randomly generated ten numbers, sent you ten quotes. So that's your hand for the game. Okay. And I have randomly generated 10 numbers and given myself 10 quotes. Um, So we're going to do three rounds. What we're going to do is I'm going to say the name of the movie and you're going to come up with a quote that you think best fits that movie. I could give you an example. Um, My, the inspiration for creating this game was I was out for dinner with my uh, lunch with my buddy Jim at work. And we came up with this game about a year or two ago. And we just been kind of building this document since and the quote I came up with was, if someone asks if you're a god, you say yes from the Ghostbusters, right? Ghostbusters, right. But yeah. that quote applied to the Passion of the Christ. 
Okay. Right? So that's kind of the idea. And he goes, oh, this would make a great game. So with that, our first round is The Avengers. Oh, jeez. So pick a quote um, from your list that you think would either in a funny way or an ironic way or just in a, oh, you'll think this will be interesting kind of a way might fit with The Avengers. Uh, based off the ones that I have on my list? Yep. Based off the ones you have. Oh, man, but if you want to, hey, if you want to go wild card and come up with one off the top of your head, sweet, go for it. <laughs> no, I think it's probably going to be uh, Bless Me, Father, for I've just killed quite a few men. Yes. Oh, I love that. And that's from what Desperado. Movie? Desperado. I, yeah. That's one of my favorite quotes. Um, I'm going to use We Came, We Saw, We Kicked Its Ass, also from no. the Ghostbusters. Nice. So nice. between the two of us, which one of um, us do you think has the better quote? No. Uh, see, this is this is where you're going to get me. Cause no, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm partial to mine. I am partial to yours, too. That's what I was going to say. So I think you take the first round. Okay. Okay. So round, and again, I'm also going to put a poll out when I release this and let the viewers vote. Okay. But I just, you know, this is fun. It gets, it gets us going. All right. Sure, so sure. round two, round two, Independence Day. Uh, let's see here. Um, it's probably, <laughs> it's probably going to be the, uh, yeah, whether we're based on carbon or silicon makes no fundamental difference. We should each be treated with appropriate respect. That's 2010. Yes, all that's... See, I'm not going to be able to come up with one that's better than that. So you know what? I'll just say it would be amazing if Ash from the Evil Dead series was in Independence Day. So, yes. all right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Which would just be a great um, supplement for Randy Quaid at the end. Right? Like, you know, you, um, what's his name there? Lone Star has... Uh, what the hell is the name of that actor? Um the, the, he plays the president. Bill Pullman has his yeah, big Bill speech, Pullman. and then right behind him, Ash comes out, and this is like the exclamation point on that speech. Um, but I still think you take that round as well. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, your your quote's perfect. Like, right? So, round three from dusk till dawn. Oh, um, and if you've never seen it, I can tell you what it's about. But I'm thinking you've seen it. Oh man, see. See, and I want to use the Desperado quote for that one. Right. But I've already used it. <laughs> um, probably don't shoot yourself, don't shoot each other, and especially don't shoot me. Nice. I'm going to take, um, let's see. Hmm. Drink from me and live forever. Interview with the vampire. <laughs> nice. I might have so, to give you that one. All right. So I took round three and you took the other two rounds. So that's, that's Chris's movie game. Um, I have a, uh, we call it right quote, wrong movie. And um, for those of you listening, um, if you ever want to play it, get on the show and we can play it. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy <laughs> it. Um, I'm, I'm going to have a guy later on on the show on my, my other podcast, shooting the shit with Chippa, um, who's a uh, board game um, designer. And I'm going to pick his brain about how I could turn this into an actual thing. Nice. By the way, have you played the Blockbuster board game? Uh, well, actually, I've, I've heard about it. 
and I've seen it or talked to Sandy about it, but I have not played it myself. It is absolute perfection. You need to get yourself a copy. I, uh, we were playing it. Um, my buddy Paul, who was one of my managers when I worked there, is going through a rough time, and he's up in Keene, New Hampshire, by himself. And we drove up there and brought games and stuff to cheer him up, and brought that, and we played that for hours. It's it's just so much fun. Well, I'll definitely have to. I'll definitely have to get a hold of that. Yeah, it's good. I I bought my copy from Sandy. Figured I'd support them. Nice. Yeah. So, um, but before I wrap this up, um, do you have any other shout outs, anything you want to plug or point, um, the, however many 300, 500 people that end up listening to this episode, um, do you want to point them towards or just any closing thoughts? No, I'll just say that, you know, we'll, uh, we'll continue to keep it going as long as we can. I'm, I, um, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to, to speak with you and, uh, and to sort of communicate out what the status is to everybody else. And we'll keep it going as long as we can. I hope to, uh, uh, because I've got a lot of little tchotchkes and things that I've gotten over the years. So I, I hope to post some of those on the on the um, on the web page as well as sending you a little sn- snapshot of this membership card. Yeah, send so, me uh, send me a few snaps of a few of a few interesting things. I'd love to sh- I'd love to include them with the video uh, with the with the show. So Absolutely. See it. Absolutely. Are you on? And- are you? on twitter by the way or are you just on on facebook i'm not i'm i'm only on facebook i'm i'm a little behind cool. the times oh no dude the only reason i have a, fa- a twitter is because i make these shows ah. i had no idea <laughs> i had no idea what it was and people yeah. were like you have to have one or no one's gonna know and i'm like all yeah. right uh, i guess i'm gonna do that nice all right. Well, um, so this has been um, Chris Chipman, um, the Talkbuster podcast. Um, my guest has been Dave Carrera, who is my first guest who transcending the uh, the store level Blockbuster employees. And um, if you enjoyed this podcast and it's your first time listening, please go back through um, the rest of the show. Um, we've had guests from Hollywood Video, Movie Gallery, um, people that have worked in porn stores, people who um, are still working for the company, like the folks out at the Blockbuster in Bend, Oregon, and um, the majority of the people that I used to work with at the store. Um, Again, I really want to thank Dave for setting aside the time to be on. Um, Thank you all for making it a Talkbuster night or day, and we'll see you guys soon.